That was a great, great story. While they're doing that, y'all be turning to Acts 15. We're going to head back into our journey through Acts. And look what's going on here since the, uh, the missionary trip's over. Paul's got his first missionary trip done, and there's already some, some trouble arising. We're going to look at that this morning. Some great, great Bible truths this morning in Acts 15 as we look at it. It's amazing to me that as wonderful as salvation is, and salvation we know at the very core, the very heart of the gospel, and we, we went through that last week just talking how to tell people about knowing Jesus, how to tell people about coming to the Lord, and it's pretty simple. We, we talked about that one of the biggest things or problems, I guess you'd say, that people have with accepting Christ is they say it's just too simple. It's too simple. It's very simplistic. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's wonderful to know that our God didn't make salvation a mystery. He didn't make it hard to understand. And, of course, the reason it's hard to understand is because men has built so much stuff on top of it. If we could just clear all the clutter away and get back to the roots of salvation, Jesus Christ said this. He said, if you'll believe with all your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. That's pretty simple, that he died on the cross, that he raised, that he died for your sins. If you'll believe him with all of your heart, if you'll say it with your mouth that Christ is Lord, you shall be saved, period. And then man has come through all these years and added this, and you got to do this, but, oh, I got to do this, but I got to do that. Guys, please understand this morning that salvation comes through Jesus Christ and none other. None other. It's very simple. It's through Jesus and nobody else. But the first church didn't like that. The church at Jerusalem was having trouble with it. Oh, they were having trouble with it. Especially the Jewish people, the Pharisees that, that had grown up in the laws of Moses. And, and they said, this just, you know, it's just not right. There's other people getting to get saved. And, and there's other people coming to Christ. These old crazy heathen Gentiles, they're getting to know Christ. And, and we just had about had enough of it. So we're going to make it more difficult for them. We're going to add something to the perfect work that Jesus Christ has done. And guys, when we start adding to the perfect works that Jesus Christ has done, we're going to mess it up. We're going to mess it up. Please don't do that. Please don't try to add something to it. It'd be like, it'd be as crazy as me saying, unless you're a Baptist at Kaiser First Baptist Church, you can't be a Christian. How crazy would me, that be for me to say that? First thing I'd want you to do is come here and get me and just escort me out because it is not an inclusive gospel. It is an exclusive, it's for everyone. It's not an exclusive gospel. It's an inclusive gospel, which means everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I love that. I love that. I don't set the parameters. I don't set the boundaries. Jesus Christ did. And he said, everyone that calls upon me can be saved. Everyone that calls on me can have eternal life. Doesn't matter what part of church you're at or not. It's about knowing Jesus Christ. All that other, he'll show you how to do that. He'll help you do that. It's just knowing him as your Savior and your Lord. Well, let's start reading this morning. What we've been doing, if you're a guest this morning, we've just been reading through the book of Acts. We'll read a little bit, and we'll stop and talk a little bit, but we'll talk and, and learn God's Word together, and I just love doing this, and I've enjoyed teaching Acts to myself and to these wonderful people here. And if you're a guest here this morning, we are so thankful that you are here with us, and we are so glad to have you here today. Acts 15, verse 1. 
Certain people, <laughs> isn't it always certain people? <laughs> There's always certain people that's got to mess things up. Do y'all have any certain people in your life? Go ahead and just raise your hand, all right? We all have certain people in our life. And I just love the way that starts. Certain people <laughs> came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the believers. Now, right off bat here, you see, well, that sounds pretty good. They want to teach the new believers. There's new Gentiles. They don't know a lot about God. They're new, new Christians, as we try to do here at our church and many churches across the world. They try to take the new believers and, and teach them more of the Bible and more about God. So that sounds like a pretty good thing up front, but look how quickly it changes. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Oh, my goodness. Unless you partake of a law that we've been doing for thousands of years, you cannot be saved. Mm. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. They begin right away to defend the gospel. And we've talked about this a lot over the last few weeks, guys. And we seem to live in a world today that we have to defend our faith. We have to defend what we believe. And we, we use a great big churchy word called apologetics. And apologetics is just knowing what you believe and why you believe it, all right? And it's good to know those things. But I'm telling you here today, just like God directed that big old stone to knock down Goliath, we don't have to defend our God. Our God is stronger. Our God is greater. Our God is more awesome than anyone. And so we don't have to defend our God. Our God is all that he needs to be all by himself. But we, we feel that need. And they felt the need to defend the gospel. And, and we have to do that from time to time. When, when somebody stands up and says, uh, I've got a new way or I've got a new revelation, guys, there is nothing, nothing that anybody's going to know that's not already in this word. Please know that. God has given it to us from Genesis to Revelation. He's given us everything we need to know for we to have eternal life. Please know that today. It's brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem and to see the apostles and elders about this question. Now, remember, remember, remember what we've been talking about in Acts. The church is very new. It's, it's a baby church. We've just seen the church kind of come on the scene there in, in the, the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit swept in and it moved among the people. And, and the church began to grow and, and 2,000 and 3,000 souls were being added on a constant basis. And, and we've seen it grow and they seem to take care of each other. And then God give Peter the keys to open up the door to everyone. The Samaritans, the Gentiles, anyone that wanted to know Jesus as Savior could be saved. And so remember the church is very young and they're, they're still working through some things. They're still working through some, still trying to understand some things. And it's kind of that way when you get saved. You're saved by faith in God and, and, and through grace that God has for you and faith in Jesus Christ. You're saved through those things. But after that, and you believe that, and you're saved, the Bible says you're saved. But there's some things that you work through. There's some things you get to know. And here these people are still trying to say, well, are we doing everything we need to do? Is there something we need to add? And here right off the bat, somebody's trying to add something to what God has said. It says here, they, the church, verse, uh, verse 3, the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they had reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required 
to keep the laws of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question, and after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows their hearts, shows that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. Now, here's what's just happened. They were having the argument in Antioch. They asked, they asked Paul, uh, Peter and, and some of them to, to go down, to talk to them, to, to visit with them. They sent uh, Paul and, and Barnabas back, and, and Peter's there. He's in Jerusalem. The apostles are there. An apostle, a definition of apostle is someone that has been called by the Lord, has seen the risen Savior alive, and these men had seen Jesus alive. And this is kind of the heart of the church here, Jerusalem, and where the church began. And so they go back with this question. Well, let me ask you, they said, does, does these Gentile people have to do the laws of Moses to be saved? And I'm sure Peter's sitting there, and he's thinking all this over. And Peter is, man, Peter is Peter. He's Simon Peter. People, I mean, they just think what Peter says is wonderful. But Peter teaches us a very important thing here, guys, that Peter listens to what's going on before he starts speaking. A lot of times we're going to just jump up and spout out whatever we want to say. But Peter sets and he thinks about it. Look there. It says, uh, as they, it says, the apostles and elders met to consider. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. He, he thought about, he, he waited for the Spirit to lead him. And guys, whatever we do as a church, whatever we do as individuals, may the Spirit lead us to do what we do. May we just not go off on a, our own tangent. May we not just do it because we think it's the right thing. But you can see Peter there waiting for the Lord to show him, the Spirit to show him what to say and what to do. And as they're saying there, in, in verse 5 at the end, they, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the laws of Moses. Think about what they're saying there for just a minute. Now, there's a thing over in Luke called new wine into old wineskins. Now, to us, that doesn't mean a lot because we don't have any idea really what a wineskin is. But what they would do is... <clears throat> As they were making wine, that new wine would ferment and that pouch would grow. It was made out of leather. And that pouch would grow as it fermented and that, that pouch would hold it. But you needed a new wineskin to make new wine because if you took an old dried out wineskin that he had made wine from before and you put the new wine in there, as that wineskin stretched, it would crack and it would ruin the wine. And what they were telling him, what they were saying is, guys, you're trying to put the old way into the new way, all right? all right? Let me say, you're trying to put the new way into the old way. I'll get it right in a minute. You're trying to put the new way into the old way. Jesus Christ has come. What's my, one of my favorite verses, John 14, 6? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I'm the new way. I'm the way. But they were trying to say, okay, Jesus is good, but we want to add something to that. And that's what they're doing here at the, ma the meeting in Jerusalem, at this council meeting. They're trying to add something to that. They want them to be circumcised. Another thing, and you think about that, and this was a great picture in my mind, they were trying to re-sew up. They were trying to stitch back up the veil. Think about that. They were trying to stitch back up the veil. Now, you remember the story of the veil. When Jesus was on the cross... And if you went into the, the temple, and I've told you about this before, but as you entered into the temple, you entered into the first place, all right? 
and there was a lot of things and furniture sitting around. But then only the priest would go over here, and there was a huge curtain, huge curtain. And you could, only the priest could enter into there and, and come to, for the altar, and they would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat once a year for the covering of the sins. But the Bible says in Luke that while Jesus was on the cross, it is finished. It says the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Now, many believe the temple was somewhere around 60 to 90 feet high. And it's very significant that it was torn from the top to the bottom because nobody could do that but God. And what he was saying is, I'm opening this up. You don't have to do it this old way anymore. There's a new way. You don't have to go through the priest. You don't have to go through a person. You can go straight into the presence of God because of death of Jesus on the cross and because he paid the price for your sins. And it says the, the veil was torn. It was open. And now anyone, any one of you, me, anybody can get on their knees and pray straight to a holy God. And I love that. He cares for you. He wants to hear from you. He created you. He chose you. If you've not believed in him yet as your only Lord and Savior, excuse me, he's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. It's like his kids. He's waiting on you. And he wants to love you like you've never been loved before. But you see what they're trying to do. Old wine, a new wine and old wineskins. Restitching up the veil. They're trying to do away with what Jesus Christ has done. And guys, I, I'd like to say that only the Jewish people of that time in this council meeting is the only ones doing that. But there's people across the world today that is trying to add on to what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. If we have to add something to it, you know what we're saying? If we're adding something to salvation, you know what we're saying? Jesus Christ wasn't big enough, wasn't mighty enough, wasn't awesome enough, wasn't holy enough to do it all on the cross. I've got to add something to it. And that bothers me because I know how imperfect I am. I know how imperfect I am. And people are trying to add a thousand things to it. You got to be a part of this, or you got to do this, or you got to do that, or you got to do this. And it says, no, it's by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ plus zero plus nothing. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And I love that because I can't mess it up. All I can do is get on my knees and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. They were saying this, a Gentile must first become a Jew before he become a Christian. It is not sufficient for them simply to trust Jesus Christ. They must obey Moses. What in the world could Moses do for us that Jesus could not do? They want it to look like them. We want, it, we want people to look like us. And Jesus changed all that on the cross. Jesus changed all that on the cross. Let's read a little further. Go to verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel. And then what he's saying there. Jesus gave me the keys to the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom is to unlock the door so that all can know Christ. That's the keys. He, made it, he opened the door. He opened it to the Jews. He opened it to the Samaritans, and they, were, they just hated the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They didn't like them. They were prejudiced against them. 
And then, heaven forbid, God opened the door to the Gentiles. Those bunch of rogues, those bunch of heathens, those sexually immoral people, they're awful. See, they didn't get it. They were looking across the aisle at, I'm better than them. Here's your standard. Jesus Christ is your standard. If we look at Jesus as our standard, we're not going to get it right. We need salvation. The law cannot save us. But Jesus can. But Jesus can. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of a Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, listen to this, guys. Underline this in your Bible. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Amen. That's it. God's grace plus faith in Jesus plus nothing. Plus nothing. And you know, we've got baptism in our name, guys, but it's not even plus baptism. Baptism is an act of obedience that follows along with that. But that doesn't save us. It just shows the world we belong to God now. Why would I want to get in some dirty brown Kaiser water and say, that saves me? Only the blood of Jesus Christ. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. They didn't mention, they didn't mention baptism one time in this whole chapter. Because they wanted you to know it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. God, no, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. Paul reminded the church of four ministries that God had performed for the Gentiles. Think about this real quick. God made a choice that Peter would preach the gospel to the Gentiles. We've been talking about that. He opened and took the keys and opened up the door through Jesus Christ that all could be saved. God gave the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles as a witness that they were truly born again believers. You remember we studied just a few weeks ago at Carneas' house. And the Holy Spirit moved on those Gentiles. It was God's stamp of approval that they can be saved just like you were at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was, it was a down payment. It was, it was showing them, it was proof positive that Jesus Christ has accepted these people in their salvation. I love this part. God erased a difference. God had put a difference between the Jews and the others. Go all the way back to the New Testament. This is my chosen, uh, the Old Testament. This is my chosen people. God said, these are my chosen people. The Jewish people, the Israelites, he gave them some laws. He gave them dietary laws. He was wanting to take care of them. What did he want them to do? He wanted them to live in such a way that they glorified God. He wanted them to live, and everybody would say, how are you so blessed? It's God. He wanted them to live in such a way, how do you win these battles? It's God. He wanted them to live in such a way that how do you do what you do? How do you continue to exist and be so blessed? It's God. But it got so good for them, they just turned on God and just said, oh, this is sweet, I'll do whatever I want. And it got harder and harder. And, and they'd go through those vicious cycles. They'd get close to God, things would get good, they'd back away from God, they'd come under persecution, they'd come under judgment, they'd repent, they'd get on their knees and say, I'm sorry, God. They'd get close to God, and they went through all of it again, over and over and over. Does that sound familiar to you? Kind of the way we are. We get close to God, things get good, 
We start living our own way, doing our own thing, forgetting God back here in the past. Troubles come, judgment comes, trials come. Oh God, where you at? God said, I'm right here. I've been waiting on you. We get on our knees, we repent, we get close to God, and oh, isn't life good? And about three weeks later, here we go again. Or one day later, or ten minutes later, here we go again, looking at our own way, our own path, our own way to do things. And that's the way the, that's the, way the Jews grew up. That's what they did. But God said, there's, there's no difference now. I'm going to take away that difference. You were my chosen people, but listen, now... When someone comes to me, I don't care if they're Jewish, Samaritan, Gentile, whatever they are, it's all level now. Everyone is the same. Guys, do we understand that this morning? Do we really understand that? That everyone sitting in this room this morning is just the same in the eyes of God? Please understand that this morning. So many people say, well, Brother Todd, I'd come to church, but I just don't feel like I'm as good a Christian as they are, or, I just feel like I've messed up so much. Guys, don't do that. We are all the same. Everybody sitting in this room that knows Christ, there's nothing special about us. We are just sinners saved by the grace of God. He give us a gift, just like he wants to give you a gift. We're not sitting here this morning because we got it all right. We're sitting here this morning because we need Jesus. Amen? We need Jesus. And God took away the difference on the cross. It was no longer you and them. He said, now it's us. Now it's you, all you that come, all that give their heart to Jesus, all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And they just couldn't get that. They liked being, that, they liked being the pet. They liked being the chosen one. And listen, they're still God's people, and he's going to deal with them at a later time. But this salvation thing, this living under the age of grace and all that we preach all the time, it's, it's the same for everybody. It's the same for everybody. And then God removed the yoke of the law. Now, we talked about a yoke a few weeks ago, and a lot of people don't get a yoke now because we haven't seen a yoke in years. We, we got big John Deere tractors and, and whatever tractor you like. We got a whole bunch of them, and we don't have to yoke anything up or anything like that. But here, here was the yoke that they had. They had, you know, the, that's, that, that's that collar. You know, you got a wood bar, and then there's a big loop, and the, the, the ox or whatever would put their head through this loop, and they'd put the, through the other loop, and together they could pull the wagon or the plow or whatever together. And God's saying that, that yoke of the law was pretty stout. Because you know what? At the end of the day, when you look at the Ten Commandments, think about this with me. At the end of the day, when we look at the Ten Commandments, guess what we have to admit when we go to sleep each night? We failed. We failed. Because the Bible says even if you think it, you've done it. So the yoke of the law, you never win. Every day you say, today I'm going to be good. Today I'm going to keep the laws. And maybe you didn't shoot somebody that day. Maybe you didn't commit adultery. Maybe you didn't steal anything. But if you thought any of those things in your mind, you did it, the Bible says. And so every night we go to sleep, and every night the Jews went to sleep, they felt the burden of the law. I just can't be good enough. Jesus Christ, amen. Jesus Christ took away the burden of the law. He took away that heavy yoke. Remember what we preached a couple weeks ago? Take my yoke upon you, for my way is easy. You don't have to worry about keeping every law. Just follow me, and I'll show you how to do it. I'll guide you through the Holy Spirit in your life. Understand what I'm saying. I don't say we get saved and live however we want. But he says, I'll take care of you. 
I'll take it away. You can't be good enough. But through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, through what he's done for you, you can be good enough through the love of Jesus. He can make you right. He can make you that big church word. He can make you righteous in his eyes. Oh, thank you, Lord, for doing that. Thank you. But yet, still people night, day after day after day after day. Hey, are you going to heaven when you die? I hope so. Are you going to heaven when you die? I hope I'm good enough. Are you going to heaven when you die? I hope I've done enough good things. No! It's not about that. It's not about that. It's about the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you and me so that we could come to salvation in him. Does everybody understand that this morning? It's about believing in him and not yourself. I'm a failure. He's not. I'm a sinner. He's not. I'm holy. He's holy. And that's good. Amen. That'd make a Baptist preacher shout. You know what I mean? Amen. Amen. That's what it's about, guys. Quit trying to be good enough. You ain't going to make it. You ain't going to make it. And that's what they were wanting here. I want to be able to do something to earn my salvation. Why? Why do you want to do that? Let's make them be circumcised. Let's make them jump around with one foot all day. Let's make them, you know, ride a bicycle to work. You know, it's just a silly, it's just a silly to add stuff like that to the gospel. It's just a silly. Man, thank you, Lord. The law cannot purify the sinner's heart. It cannot impart the Holy Spirit. The law cannot give eternal life. The law could not do what God did through Jesus Christ. It cannot do it. It cannot do it. Let me finish up. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders of God had done among the Gentiles through them. And that's, that's just one verse that Luke, Luke wrote Acts, and Dr. Luke has just given one verse there, and he said what they got up and told them is what we just read in Acts 13 and 14, all right? What they told them is about their first missionary journey. And that's what they told him. They said, you would not believe what we've seen God do in our last, in our, in our journey. He, he was moving. We've seen the Holy Spirit there. There was evidence everywhere that they had been saved. It's there. It's proof positive that Jesus is calling all to salvation. And when they finished, and, and their, their speech went on much longer, but Luke just gave them one sentence because we've already read what they did in 13 and 14, okay? When they finished, James... Brother of Jesus spoke up and said, listen to me, Simon, has described, he's talking about Peter, has described us how God first intervened to choose a people from his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this as it is written. And it's always wonderful that they take them back to what they knew. They knew about the prophets. They knew what Amos had said. And he's going he's to quote from the book of Amos, chapter 9. And he said, you know this. You grow up studying this. He goes back to their heart and says, we, this was prophesied. Let me read it to you. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may see the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. You know, who the, you know who the, who's going to rebuild David's fallen tent? You've heard of him. His name is Jesus Christ. It said a root of David will spring up. 
Do you know this, that Jesus Christ is the only one that has proof positive to back him up that he is the chosen king? All the way through the Old Testament, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. No other man, no other woman, no other person that's ever stood up and said, I'm king, had nothing to stand on from God's word. But Jesus Christ has the hall of history, all the genealogy, all the things that he needs to say, I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The root of David will spring up. The fallen tent of David will be rebuilt. And he's going to do that someday. He's going to come back and set up his kingdom on this earth. We read about it in Revelation in a thousand-year reign. And he said, he's doing this so that all mankind may know him. You know, guys, he's saying, you know it was prophesied that Jesus is going to open up the door to everyone. And he's doing it. He's doing it. It is my judgment, James said, therefore, verse 19, that we should not make it difficult for the Jews who are turning to God. That's an underlined verse right there. Women and men of America, of the church today, we should not make it difficult for people to come to know Jesus as Savior. Does everybody hear me? We should not make it difficult. Well, you've got to quit doing this. You've got to quit doing that. You've got to stop doing this. Do you know what? If you give your heart to Jesus, he'll help you with all that. He'll help you with all that. We should not make it difficult for people to find their way to Jesus. How are you living from Monday to Saturday? Are you presenting a holy God? Are you showing the glory of God in the way you live, the way you talk, the way you act? How many people said, you know what, Brother Todd? I would come to church, but I look around at them people down there, and I'm just like they are. I don't see no difference. Now, I know probably about 75% of that is excuse. All right, I understand that. But I also know there's about 25, maybe 50, maybe 60% that might be true. They don't look any different than me. They talk the same way I do. They go to the same places I do. They treat people the same way I do. There is no difference. Let me read that verse to you again so you understand. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Church of the Lord here. We should not make it difficult for people to find their way to God. Verse 20, instead we should write to them. They're going to put together a letter telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath day. Now, the amazing thing to me is, in the Old Testament, the chosen people were who? Say it out loud. The chosen people were who? The Jews, all right? They were to be the example they were to live in such a way that they could point toward God. Whatever they did, they wanted to point toward God. God did all that he did for them so they would point to him and say, this is the way to find salvation. This is the way. Through this one God. There's one true God. But here it is amazing that James turns the tables on the Jews. He's talking to the Jews. He's in the Jew of the Jew place. He's talking to the apostles and Pharisees that are the, the highest up on the ladder. And he says, you know what? 
Let's ask them to be an example for us on how to follow God. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> let's, let's ask the Gentiles to show us how to live the right way for God. Oh, my goodness. Let's ask them to flee from sexual immorality. And, guys, that's been a law since the, the, the Bible began. Live a clean life. Live a clean life. Love the people you're supposed to love and stay, you know, don't, don't treat people wrong. Don't take advantage of people. Don't eat food sent to idols. You know what he's saying there? Let's tell them if they keep eating that food to idols, and really it's not going to hurt them. There's nothing wrong with that food that's worshipped for idols. But if they keep eating that and hanging around the idols, the Jewish people are going to go, aha, aha, you didn't really get saved. You're hanging around and eating idol food. You all think about some things today that we do that people go, aha, aha, you didn't really get saved. I'll let you fill in the blanks because I get in trouble when I fill in the blanks. Aha, there's some things that you're doing that, 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 that don't seem like you're saved. And that's what they're telling them. It's not going to hurt you to eat the idol food, but when they see you eating the idol food, the Jews are going to say, see, I told you, they're not really serious about following God. You see what he's doing here? We want the Jews to be, we want the Gentiles to be an example to the Jews. Also, and then he says this, and this is for their health, for their well-being. He says, look, they've been taught from way back, way back in Leviticus, that you shouldn't eat meat from a strangled animal. Because the blood gets in there and it can poison the food and it could be, de it could be dangerous for them. Make sure you kill the animal right, drain the blood. All you deer hunters know all about that. If you leave the blood in there, it, it ruins the meat. It's bad for you. It can start disease. And so they drain the blood and all that. He said, we're going to do that so that you won't be a stumbling block to these people. They've done that forever. So let me just ask you a couple things. Don't eat meat from a strangled animal and don't, don't, worry, you know, don't drink blood and things. That, that just freaks them out, as we'd say nowadays. But he said, I want you to do it so that they can see you're serious about following God. These aren't, things aren't going to just kill you. They're not going to be all that big a deal. But if you'll do it, you won't be a stumbling block. You won't be a stumbling block. And so they agree to send a letter. And we'll look at that letter tonight. And they ask him to do those things. But not one thing in there says that you have to be saved plus something else. The other things were so that people could come to know Jesus as Savior. Like getting baptized so people can see that you're the real deal. Like serving God and, and doing what is right and treating your neighbor right and acting right and doing the right things so that people can see that you belong to God. So that we won't be a stumbling block to people. It's just amazing to me that God turned the tables on the Jewish people that thought they were above and high and mighty and above all these people and they weren't worth salvation and they weren't worth the God that they knew and he turns around and says, look here Jews, I want you to watch the Gentiles and watch how they do it and you follow their lead because they're going to get it right. Mm. Man. A lot to think about, isn't it? A lot to think about. My last words. Salvation is through the grace of God plus faith in Jesus plus nothing. Nothing. Let's pray.
And Father, we come to you today. We thank you for teaching us. Lord, forgive us when we make salvation so difficult. Lord, not only maybe in what we choose to say is salvation and what is not, but also in the way that we live. Lord, I pray as pastor of this church that I will not be a stumbling block to anyone. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that all of us will not be a stumbling block to anyone that is trying to find their way to the Lord. Lord, help us to live and speak and talk and live and act and and do everything in honor and glory to you. And Lord, I know that we are sinners. I know that there are times we fail and fall flat on our face. And Lord, you're willing to forgive. But Lord, sometimes we just don't even try. And Lord, let us not be a stumbling block. Thank you for teaching us through your word. Thank you for dying for us on the cross and bringing us a true gift. A gift is something you do not earn. A gift is something you accept just the way it is. You don't add something to it. And you're thankful for it. And Lord, we're thankful for the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, and his resurrection. Lord, speak to hearts this morning. And thank you for loving us the way you do. In your name we pray. Amen.